And today I'm going to talk about how God wants to use our weaknesses. You know, every single one of us have a weakness. Some have multiple weaknesses. Some have physical weaknesses, some emotional, some relational. Some of you have financial weaknesses. Anyone want to give a testimony this morning? Intellectual weaknesses. Some of you have fashion weaknesses. <laughs> this is so funny, and this is the truth. There are often times I'll put something on, and my wife looks at me, and she says, Really? You're not wearing that, are you? And I go, What? <laughs> the question is, what are you going to do with your weaknesses? Now, normally, here's what we try to do. Deny them, defend them, excuse them, hide them, cover them up. But God says, I want to use your weaknesses. We say, no, God, only use my strengths. And God says, I will, but I'm going to use both. Both your strengths and your weaknesses. Look at our verse today on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1.27 God purposely chose, on purpose... What the world considers nonsense in order to put wise men to shame. And what the world considers weak in order to put powerful men to shame. What is a weakness? Here's the definition we're using today. It is a limitation that I either inherited or I just cannot change. I can't change it. I've been given it. I don't want it really particularly. I mean, we're going to be discussing the Apostle Paul. And you remember, God gave him a weakness. What did Paul call it? A thorn in the flesh. God purposely chose our weaknesses. Your weaknesses are not by accident. God chose your weaknesses in your life, not your sins, that's different. I'm talking about weaknesses here. Why did He do that? He did that in order to demonstrate His power in your life. You know, I grew up kind of thinking that um, Samson, the strongest man in the Bible. I used to, My image of Samson, I don't know if it was like yours, I mean, this guy had biceps on his triceps. I mean, he was just this big hulk of a man, kind of a Jewish Rambo, right? But nothing could be further from the truth. Did you know that? He confused his enemies because they said, where does he get his strength from? The guy's a runt. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I should be able to take him. And, and really what they didn't understand was his strength came from who? God. And whenever Samson would do a great feat, you remember what the text says? And the Spirit of the Lord fell on him. And the Spirit of the Lord fell on him. And the Spirit of the Lord fell on him. Our strength comes from God. We must never forget that. Now, how are we supposed to use our weaknesses? Two quick things. Number one, number one, I must admit my weaknesses. Oh, you've got to be kidding me, Bruce. I've got I to admit it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
You know where you're weak, right? You think God doesn't know it? So you might as well tell him. And you might as well tell someone you trust in your church that can pray for you and have some accountability with. Stop pretending that you got it all together. I grew up in a church in a day of time when you went to church and someone said, how are you doing? Everyone said, great, fantastic, fine, okay. Because you know what? The Christian life, everyone's supposed to be perfect, right? I I suppose it's okay to say that we're okay when someone asks if we're okay, as long as we all realize that none of us are really okay without Jesus. Do you get what I'm saying? But we never really got real. We always pretended that everything was fine. There was a young lady in our church um, who got pregnant, and we didn't see her for about nine months. And then she was back, and everything was... I just remember as a little kid hearing something, something, something. What was that all about? You know what... You didn't admit stuff like that. You didn't minister to people who were going through a pregnant out of wedlock. You didn't talk about stuff like that because that was weak. And Christians are strong. Wrong. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be able to confess our faults one to another and strengthen one another and encourage one another. But you've got to start by admitting your weaknesses. Number two, this one's a a bit harder. I must be grateful for my weaknesses. Oh, come on, Bruce, you're kidding me, right? I come to church to get rid of my weaknesses, and now you're telling me that I actually need to be grateful for my weaknesses? That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, you know what? How many times in Scripture does it not make sense from a human vantage point, but it makes sense from a heavenly vantage point, right? Paul will say, I have cheerfully made up my mind to be proud of my weaknesses. Remember, this is in a context of a thorn in the flesh. Something he didn't want, something he wanted to get rid of, something he took to God, to God three times. And now all of a sudden he's made up his mind to cheerfully accept them because they mean a deeper experience of whose power? The power of Christ. And where does that power show up best? In weak people. And so, instead of wearing a mask, instead of acting like we have it all together, we need to admit our weaknesses and start focusing on God's power. Because that's when God's power shows up best. Four quick benefits of admitting your weaknesses. Number one, it guarantees God's help. It guarantees God's help. If you think you can fix yourself, you know what God does? God just stands back and watches and goes, okay, let me watch you fall flat on your face. Go right ahead. Right? If you think you got it all together and you can fix yourself, God's going to watch you and He's not going to step in to help you until you get to the end of your rope. Where's the best place to tie a knot, folks? At the end of your rope. Sometimes we call that hitting bottom, right? You know what I'm talking about. And and you don't want to go there. You you want to start by admitting 
and being grateful for my weaknesses. Because that's when God guarantees His help. When you say, I am weak, and you cry out, help, then God says, all right, I'm going to plug you into my power. That's step one. Step two. Well, under step one, look at this verse. This is kind of a conversation between Paul and God. I'm shortening this, of course, but remember, this is that same context. Paul's got a weakness. Um, He's frustrated with it. He's mad at himself, maybe even a little angry with God because he's already prayed three times for God to remove it. And here's that conversation. God, God starts, I am with you, Paul. I know you got a weakness. I know you cried out three times for me to remove it. But I am with you. See, we sometimes have weaknesses and shortcomings and failures and we think God is not with us. No, God's with you. God never abandons you. He never leaves you. I am with you. That's all that you need. My power shows up best in weak people. Paul's response, okay then, I'll accept it. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. The less I have, the more I depend on him. So that's the starting point. Number two, the second benefit of admitting your weaknesses and even being grateful, it prevents arrogance. Because I know I can't do it all on my own. Nobody can. Look here at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He will say, To keep me from becoming conceited. Now, why would Paul have a tendency to become conceited? If you know anything about Paul, he was a brainiac, number one. He was a scholar. He sat at the foot of Gamaliel and he advanced in the Jews' religion beyond all of his peers and all of his teachers. He was, you know, just... Top dog intellectually. Today we would call him a genius. He was up there with the philosophers of the day. As a matter of fact, God used this guy to write 13 of the books that you'll read in the Bible. 13 of them were written by this guy here. Very scholarly. And when God wanted to reach out beyond the Jewish world and get into the Gentile world and get into the Greek and the Roman world, who did he send? Paul. Why? Because he knew the intellectuals needed an intellectual. Paul says, to the Jew I became the Jew, to the slave I became the slave, to the Gentile I became the Gentile. I became all things to all men that by all possible means I might save some. And to the intellectuals I became intellectual. He went to Mars Hill. He went to Athens, Greece. He went to the Areopagus, the, 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 where the scholars lived, the Socrateses, the Platos of the day. And he talked and, and had encounters and exchanges with guys like this. He was brilliant. You think brilliant people, where everything just comes easy, I mean, they open the book and they get it... Study for 15 minutes, A-plus on the test. Those guys used to drive me crazy. And I'm studying all night, you know. <laughs> and my report card comes out, fudda, 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 fudda. But I studied. Do you think when you're really, really smart, you might be prone to conceit? It, yeah, it's a possibility. And God knows what to do with guys like Paul that do that kind of stuff. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, 
There was given me a thorn in my flesh. That's the thing he didn't want. God says, you need it. Not, not everyone needs it. Not every smart person needs it. Not every intellectual needs it. Not every great athlete needs it. Whatever your field, not every great woodworker, not every great military man or woman needs it. But there are some people that need a thorn in the flesh. Some of us need it to keep us from becoming arrogant. A thorn, a weakness. Number three, a third benefit of admitting my weaknesses and even being grateful for them, it causes me to value others. One of the dangers of strength is it breeds an independent spirit. Because nobody gets all the gifts. Remember we recently went through the parable, the talents. You don't get them all, but everybody gets something. But God doesn't want everyone to have them all because He wants us to be interdependent upon one another. So He'll give you one gift, uh, me another gift, you another gift, and I'm to use my gift to help you, you're to use your gift to help me. And hence, the body of Christ is built up. 1 Corinthians 12.22, Some parts of the body that seem weakest, why do we need that person in the church? We don't really want those people, do we? Some of the parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. We need to remember that. And number four, it gives me a ministry. You mean my weakness can give me a ministry? Oh yeah. 2 Corinthians 1.4 God comforts us in our troubles. In our weaknesses, if you will. So that we can comfort those in trouble with their weaknesses, with the comfort that we ourselves received. So, we have troubles and God comforts us. And He gets us through a hard time. Has God ever gotten you through a hard time? And then you saw somebody else going through the same hard time that you're going through. And God put it on your heart to help them get through their hard time. Of course, that happens all the time. Who better to help somebody going through a divorce than somebody who's gone through the pain and the heartache of a divorce? Who better to help someone struggling with an addiction that they're trying to get rid of than someone who's gone through the struggle of an addiction? Who better to help and comfort someone, uh, maybe a couple that cannot have children, than a couple who could not have children? Or, or who better to help families with premature babies than a family that had a premature baby? And we, after 14 hours of our son's birth, he was a preemie, 10 weeks premature, his lungs collapsed the very first moment that my wife saw him. There's a little special room in the neonatal intensive care unit of Miller Children's Hospital in Long Beach for such a time as this. A team crashes on your son. They're doing everything they can to save his life. And someone else's job is to hustle you into that room. 
And they say, if you believe in God, now's the time to pray. And about an hour later, they came in. I thought they were, were going to say, he's dead. I mean, that's just the way he looked to us as we were in tears going away to this little room. Well, our son survived. He's 30 years old today. You'd never know the problems he had. Giving me a grandson who we get a babysit next weekend for the weekend. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> but about a week after that event, on the, on the rooftop we heard the helicopter. And whenever a helicopter lands on the rooftop of a neonatal intensive care unit, it's never a good thing. And they... We saw the mother and father go into that room and Jane and I went into that room and we ministered to that family. God never wastes a hurt, does He? He never wastes a hurt. Who better to minister to somebody who's hurting than someone who's gone through a hurt or a pain or a heartache or a trouble or an addiction or a divorce or a thorn in the flesh? God uses all that stuff. God just used the good stuff. God says, I'm going to use both. If you let God touch you and heal you, He will use you to help others. That's called a ministry. Now, look at this. Your greatest ministry is when God takes your greatest weakness and turns it into your greatest strength. Have you ever saw it that way? Have you ever I know some of you got hurts, habits and hang-ups, but you can't possibly think how God could use those and turn them into a ministry. But he can. God specializes in turning weakness into strength. Let's talk about a fellow named Moses. You know what Moses' greatest weakness was? Moses had anger issues. What are you talking about, Bruce? Well, he knew he was called by God to be a deliverer. And one day he saw an Egyptian soldier beating on one of his people. And he got so angry, what do you think he did? He went over and killed that Egyptian. He was going to do God's will his own way. And that was not at all what God had in mind. Anger, anger, anger. Now he has to flee for his life. He struck a rock one time in the wilderness. He got so fed up and so mad and so angry. God says, talk to this rock and I'll give you some water. People were saying, give me a gink. I need a gink of water. Crying like little babies. I meant drink, but you know how little kids are. Give me a gink. Give me a gink. These guys were babies. And Moses got so fed up with them, rather than talking to the rock, rock, produce water. That's what God said to do. He took that staff and whack! Now, God produced water, but he, he disobeyed God, did he not? Well, by the time of that 40-year encounter of dealing with these baby Israelites, the Bible calls him the meekest man that ever lived. He took his greatest weakness and turned it into his greatest strength. How about King David? 
Oh, King David, man after God's own heart. Mr. Purity, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So pure that he takes another man's wife, has relations with her, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it all up, but that fails, and so decides, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just have him killed on the battlefield. And Uriah goes back to his death with the same orders in his hand written in the, the, the pen or the ink of the, the king. Yeah, Mr. Purity. But you know, by the time he got to the end of his life, that had all changed. He's now a man after God's own heart. Takes his greatest weakness, turns it into his greatest strength. Abraham, called the father of the faithful. Oh, Mr. Faithful Abraham, that's the guy we, we look to, the Hebrew Hall of Fame. Ask his wife Sarah how much faith he had when the enemy showed up. You know, Abraham's greatest weakness was his lack of faith. His lack of faith. And when the enemy shows up, he says, All right, Sarah, you're so good looking. These guys are going to kill me and take you. Say you're my sister. Oh, yeah, real faithful. Yeah, yeah. good faith there, Abe. (laughs) And yet, by the end of his life, He's taken a 12-year-old kid named Isaac up to Mount Moriah and ready to follow through with what God told him to do to his son. Took his greatest weakness, a lack of faith, turned it into a strength that we look to today. Gideon. He's he's from the smallest tribe in Israel. He's uh, from the least of the tribes. And among the least of the tribes... His family was the poorest and the weakest. He was the runt of the litter, he said. And his greatest weakness, you know what it was? Fear. He was a fearful man. So much so that the Midianites were harassing the Jews all the time. And, and he actually hid out in a wine press. You're supposed to make wine in a wine press, but because it was down below. He went in there to make his, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch. He didn't want them stealing his lunch, so he hid out. And the Lord himself appears to him and calls him what? Mighty, what's the next word? Warrior. And oh, Gideon, after he gets over being startled, remember he's a fraidy cat, turns around and goes, what, you talking to me? I'm no mighty warrior. I'm anything but a mighty warrior. So you think. See, God calls things that are not as though they are. And what did Gideon end up becoming? The leader, the general, and wiped out all the Midianites. Sword of the Lord and of Gideon was their their cry. The weakest coward became the bravest deliverer. And what about that guy named Peter? You know, Peter, his name actually before it was Peter, was Simon. Who was Simon? Simon was this wishy-washy, put his foot in his mouth kind of a guy that would say one thing and then do another. That was Simon. Lord, I'll never deny you. Three times, what's he do? Denies him. 
Lord, if that's really you, bid me to walk on water. Come on. Yeah, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and sinks. Lord, save me. All this faith and then sinks. and uh, Mr. Wishy-Washy, say one thing and do another. That was Simon. Jesus, I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Petros. Rock, solid one. He was anything but a rock. He was anything but a solid one. But how did he end up, folks? Leader of the Twelve. Who preached the first apostolic sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Rock did. Pete, Peter, strength. All of God's giants have been great men and women who admitted, first of all, they were weak and then became thankful for the weakness and then they were usable. They got themselves usable to be used by God and God turns it into a strength. One more verse and we're going to close. Check this out. The greatest example of God turning weakness into strength is what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus' weakest moment became His greatest strength. Although He died on the cross in, what's the next word? Weakness, say it with me. Weakness. Jesus now lives by the mighty, what's the next word? Power of God. We too are, what's the next word? Weak. But we live in Him and have God's power. Amen? Amen. Amen. A whole lot of good came from the cross. You and I are saved by His grace today. What looked, and God took His weakest moment on this cross and nailed all of our sins to it. And today we are saved by grace. We're still works in progress, right? But we have His power. Some of you may need His power. We're going to pray and offer an invitation. Uh, I want to open the prayer room today. And um, Mike, if you'd go to the prayer room, that would be a good thing. Mike will pray for you. Others may be saying, you know what? I, b- I believe Jesus, the Son of God. I know I'm a sinner. It's time for me to repent, get my act together, and put my Lord on in baptism. We stand ready to do that as well. Let's pray. What are you ashamed of? What causes pain in your life? Did you grow up in a dysfunctional family? Maybe you've got some other kind of weakness. I invite you to create an altar in your mind right now. And on that altar, place the weakness that you have in your life that you cannot change, that you didn't ask for. And would you just say, God... I give you these weaknesses and I ask you to work not around them, not in spite of them, but would you use my weaknesses and and would you take those weaknesses and turn them into a strength? You've said that your power shows up best in weak people. And so here I am today, Lord, open and vulnerable before you as exhibit A, Would you show your power in my life this week? I ask you to help me. 
Now, if you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ, just say, Jesus Christ, come into my life right now and heal my hurts and be my Lord and be my guide. I want to follow you. I surrender through faith, repentance, and I submit myself to being baptized into your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.